0: Welcome back to Random Track, the podcast in which I, your host, Scott McNulty, discuss a random episode of Star Trek with a non-random guest. However, this is one of our rare off-format episodes, and I say our, our I guess that's the royal we. Uh, I, I'm, we're not going to be talking about a episode of Star Trek. No, no. We're going to be talking about a movie. Star Trek movie. Of course. <laughs> it would be weird if I suddenly were talking about <laughs> other movies. Uh Star Trek 6: The Undiscovered Country specifically. And I am joined not by just one non-random guest. No, no. I had to call in 3 guests to discuss the wonder of Star Trek 6: The Undiscovered Country. One guest for each decade that the movie uh since the movie has been premiered because it is 30 years old this year, uh which Makes me feel old. Um, just like watching this movie made me feel old, actually. Uh, so joining me to discuss this movie, uh, Shelley Brisbane. Shelley, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. I can confirm the location of this movie, but not its existence.
2: <laughs> uh, Moises Julian is here. Hello, Moises. For Scott's sake, let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the death of kings.
0: <laughs> oh, those screenwriters. Very good. And Joe Rosenstiel is here. Hello, Joe.
3: Uh, cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. This is the one where the Klingon quotes a lot of Shakespeare, uh, that Klingon,
2: Christopher Plummer, RIP recently, uh, deceased, even, Um, even ad libbed Shakespeare, more Shakespeare (laughs) than they put in the script. And they put a lot of Shakespeare in the script. (laughs) You know what? This script
0: needs more Shakespeare quotes. Uh, and I do enjoy in this movie how, uh, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I feel like he said, I will speak the least amount of Klingon, I have to. Uh, and then every time they switch, you know, they have a bunch of Klingons in this, episode, in this movie, uh, and they're talking Klingonese to one another, uh, and then it switches to English midway through, and when, that's when generally, when uh, Christopher Plummer's character is speaking, and it just amuses me, because I imagine
2: he, he doesn't want to talk it. <laughs> Anyway, well, Star Trek he 6. Does it, he does it really well, though. That's mm-hmm. um, true. But but there's only so much that you're going to get out of him. He's only going to give you so much of that Klingon gold.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I know we've all... I'm, I'm, well, I, I should not assume, but I'm going to assume that we've all seen this movie multiple times. Uh, and I'm going to assume that the person who is listening to this podcast has seen the movie multiple times. So I feel like that lets us lose to skip around to just talk about things that we like about it. Uh, but first, I will say that I was worried... When I started watching this, because this is a movie, I'm just going to tell you right now that I love this movie. Uh, I think it's a really good Star Trek movie. It's not my favorite Star Trek movie, but I think it's really good. Uh, and a fitting farewell to the original series crew. Uh, but as I was watching it, I thought to myself, oh no, what if now that I'm watching it with a critical eye for a podcast, I will no longer like it. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to report to everyone, though, that I do still like it. What is, it, what is everyone else's kind of first impressions of Star Trek 6 Shelley?
1: We'll with you first. I, I will confess that as somebody watching with a critical eye for a podcast, I found more things about it that have that I have issues with than I mm-hmm. did just as somebody who likes Star Trek and who wanted to see the original series crew even in their advanced years. Uh, and because we already knew that the even numbered movies are, are better, I was like, "I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be good." And mm-hmm. uh, I, I enjoy it as a movie. I enjoy it for nostalgic reasons, just as a, as an entertainment. But sometimes you think about stuff and you have thoughts and, you know, it's complicated.
0: Well, that's what we're going to talk about. There's certain seeds now. Well, one very particular seed that I thought, mm, mm-hmm. I don't know about this scene. Yeah.
2: Uh, uh, Moises. Um, I, I, um, I uh, you know, tempor- temporal relations should probably get on the line because I don't know whether before or after this uh, post is when I guessed it on Random Track and, and oh. declared this. I thought my, my favorite uh, TOS movie, uh, which I've felt for quite a while Um, and revising it again. I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I'm changing that opinion necessarily, though there is something that is uh, definitely more problematic when, when it, uh, than when it it first uh, became what I consider my favorite. Um, I I enjoy it more than Wrath of Khan because more of the crew has more to do. And, Mm -hmm. and I enjoy that very much. Um, I enjoy the things that I that I see and I poke a million holes in um, like the conveniently uh, placed phaser box in the galley. Um, You know, just got to have a phaser in case that steak tartare really gets the best of you. Um, (laughs) It's dangerous on the galley. Yeah, I, I, I adore its faults because they are they are strictly they are Harv Bennett and Nicholas Meyer going, you know what? This is the last one. I mean, if somebody's going to question this, what are you going to do? Fire us? Um, you know, uh, and, and that's uh, the, the, the spirit of that. And the fact that this was put together on relatively little money, similar to Wrath of Khan, um, is kind of a, a an interesting cap to me of the story of the TOS movies. Um, but yeah, I, there, there are lots of little things throughout that I enjoy and things that I enjoy because they are weird or dumb or don't work. Um, and, uh, and I don't know that that kind of describes a lot of what I like about Star Trek in the first place.
0: That is true. And you can find plenty of that in any iteration of Star Trek. Joe, what are your, your opening thoughts about Star Trek six? Well, uh, my view, I think as with
3: the other, uh, my, uh, my cohorts here, it, it's skewed by my love of it uh, from having seen it. uh, This is the first Star Trek movie that I saw in theaters ever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, I really appreciated it and thought it was neat and did all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, However, uh, it is 1991. Uh, (laughs) There are some things about the movie uh, in terms of the writing uh, that haven't aged super well. There are things about the movie in terms of the effects that haven't aged super well. There are things Mm -hmm. about the movie in terms of, the uh set decoration and uh let's say generous reuse of redress sets from previous installments of star trek that haven't aged (laughs) super well uh and it's 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 hard to i think if you were someone who uh was trying to watch star trek for the first time to really appreciate this and i talked about uh star trek six with my co-host dan sturm on uh defocused the po- uh, podcast that i do here on the encopled network and he was uh not as jazzed uh by it as i am <laughs> and uh that's, that's you know to be expected uh so if you want to listen to me just like you know let the uh choke him over the skype connection <laughs> then you can do that but uh, i think that this conversation is probably be a little more positive than that uh, even though we do have criticisms uh, that, that we all i think probably share if we put our heads together
0: i'm sure we can think of at least one scene where
3: something <laughs> is a little weird mm,
0: yeah that scene oh boy uh and i i i so this movie whenever i think about this movie uh which you know isn't infrequently um uh, the, the and I told Marisa that I needed to watch this movie, uh, and she said, "Oh, that's the one with the the pink blood floating in zero gravity." <laughs> uh, and in my mind, that looks so cool. In my memory, I'm like that blew my mind when I saw it, uh, you know, in the movie theater, and then when I was younger. And now watching it, um, it, it didn't it didn't age as well as <laughs> uh, I, I could have hoped. Um, and then it made me question if it ever really looked that cool.
2: It's like the scene of the, the, or the sequence of the plane crash landing in Air Force One. You remember it looking really cool. And then you watch it over in 4K. <laughs> doesn't look so good. It
0: doesn't. But it's still a cool idea. So I, I applaud that for them. Although my question with that scene is the, how come Klingons don't do zero G combat training? Uh, but that's, you know. Perhaps that's
1: one way of evaluating movies is just say up front, is it a movie that you should see again or is it a movie you shouldn't? Although I I think given just our sort of general fandom towards Star Trek, we'd probably do it anyway and we would go, oh, well, I'll just have to overlook the pink blood.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I do. This movie has a special place, right, because it's the last TOS crew, uh, you know. Generations has some spoilers for Generations has some <laughs> TOS crew in it. Um, but, uh, and I do think at the, I always tear up at the end with the signatures and all of that stuff. So I feel like it's a good uh, uh, nostalgic kind of heartwarming send off to them. But yeah, as a
2: movie right at the beginning um, is one of my favorite things in the movie, which is Captain Sulu on the USS excels here. Uh, yes. um, it, you know, it feels like long overdue justice for George Takei. Um, repeatedly suffering having to deal with William Shatner, um, who he did not get along well with. Um, And it's something that is not so subtle in uh, their view screen uh, conversations uh, in the movie. They're both professionals and they get the job done. But if you're looking for it, oh, boy. Oh boy! Can you see the seething contempt on both sides, um, and and that's kind of enjoyable. But I I just I enjoy Captain Sulu on the bridge of his ship, and he has he specifically has a, a tea table just in front of his captain's chair, um, and and it looks like the most expensive bridge set in the movie, <laughs> and we very rarely see it. Um, and Janice Rand is there, and mm-hmm. we hadn't seen Janice Rand in a while. Um, and, uh, and any opportunity to, uh, to see some Grace Lee Whitney is, is great for me. Um, yeah, I, it, it, it feels good to, um, to, to start with somebody that I looked up to. And this was only the second movie that I saw, um, of the, of the TOS movies theatrically, uh, right after five. And, oh boy, was this a huge step up from five. Um, yes. so, you know, I five being the one I had seen theatrically before this and opening with Sulu captaining his own ship, um, that, that was, that was good enough for me. Uh, and, and, uh, I, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of really solid McCoy. There's, um, you know, they had to get McCoy off the bridge at one point, um, so that they could let Scotty be on the bridge and be the guy shouting on the bridge. Um, you know, there are little, there are little bits of All sorts of things that I love seeing this entire crew get to do um, that that is what helps me continue to paper over the stuff that, you know, hasn't aged so well uh, or is just a little bit hackneyed or a little bit, um, you know, these folks could do some of this stuff in their sleep.
1: See, I agree about Sulu. Absolutely. And unfortunately, it points up how limited... Uh, the opportunities for Koenig and Nichols and even Doohan to some extent are because Scotty yeah. gets to be Scotty. And we all love when Scotty gets to talk about the warp core and gets to yell and things like that. But <laughs> when when Chekhov, Uhura...
2: oh, oh, who is
1: now at the rank of commander, is still saying things like, well, oh, what should we do? Which is just <laughs> insulting. I mean, come on. And Uhura yeah. is treated a little bit better, but she still has the same job she did Back in the TOS days, even though she's giving seminars when she's not on the Enterprise, and presumably is a is a is a learned person whose opinions and knowledge are sought out, sought after. But she's a communications officer, and I would argue that as as much as I love seeing Grace Lee Whitney in in the role of Janice Rand, and it is certainly an improvement over uh, yeoman and sex object in the uh, the early TOS days. I would like to have seen her do more too. So I just yeah. want more of the good things, is what I'm saying. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I like my memory of uh, Chekhov and Uhura. It's it's everybody getting to do the stuff that I enjoy watching them do. But it, especially in in the places of of Chekhov and Uhura, it's it's the peak of as much as they were allowed to do, and that's kind of the the bittersweet piece of it. Um, but I one particular interchange uh, after Kirk and McCoy have been uh, captured, where. Um, somebody says something or another about the neutron radiation. Um, and, and Scotty's response of not from us is, is like, is like who farted? Not me, not me, not my ship. Um, it wasn't my ship that did this, uh, like his, his love and affection for his ship, uh, is, is basically the only thing that he talks about, uh, for the entire movie. Um, and, uh, as, uh, as, 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 Cheesy as it is, it's still, you know, it's still a little bit of comfort food for me.
1: I agree with you there. I mean, I think he is the best served of the secondary tier of characters because yeah. he he does have that sort of one track as a character, not as a not as an actor, not as a personality. I don't think they've written him incorrectly. I think they've absolutely written an older version of Scotty who still loves and cares about and is good at the same things and he's he was always Even though they gave him a few TOS episodes to do a few things a little different. He was always essentially that same guy. And it's appropriate. I mean, sure, could you have given him uh, more scenes and more scenery to chew? I suppose so. But I don't think he's as ill-served as, say, uh, Chekhov and Uhura.
0: Yeah, and I think think Chekhov comes off the worst in this movie just because he – it, you know they're just kind of using him as comic comic relief for a lot of like you know if the shoe fits and then uh look at the the shoe doesn't fit and you know the, the the one that does pay off though is that he doesn't apparently know about the the phaser uh alarm system in on the starship, which I find hard to believe, but then they pay off the joke i think pays off because he's like some uh, Why didn't they vaporize it? And he's like, oh, of course, because of the alarm, silly. Uh, so I did think that was funny, but uh, he doesn't really do much. I do think Uhura gets uh, – I mean, Uhura always been classically underutilized, but she does come up with the idea uh, to use the the gas sensor stuff to uh, shoot the ship. I and, love that uh, bit,
1: and I love the lines they give her. It's well-written.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so I think that's, that's her. And I feel like they, when they were writing this, they wanted to give each of the characters like a moment. And I'm not sure what Chekhov's moment was other than being wrong repeatedly. Uh, but that was <laughs> Uhura's moment. Uh, plus the, the, you know, everybody look up Klingon in these books that we, I guess we have a bunch of Klingon dictionaries on the Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> okay
3: think those were interesting books, too, because they just yeah. like uh, they, those came from the prop department of so, something else. They, they, they're very uh,
0: aged. Yes. Although I did love the, the idea that they would recognize the the tone of the universal translator. And I was like, OK, it. I thought that, that
1: was a great bit. I like it when yeah. technology is supposed to work a certain way, but they find a way for it not to so that they have to come up with a solution on the spot, even if it is books. It's And even if they're y- y- yelling and cling on and speaking badly, it's that's. <laughs> It's hilarious
2: it 's a good scene well the uh, the writing is something that uh, I wanted to bring up because i in addition to watching the movie over, I put on the commentary while I was reorganizing my office and, and replying to emails and that kind of thing um, and Uh, It was co-written by Nicholas Meyer and his former assistant, uh, Denny something or another. And, um, well, a couple of things uh, stuck out. Uh, One was, oh, and we wanted to make sure that Brock Peters, uh, you know, said the racist stuff about Klingons. We thought it was important to have an African-American saying that. And, uh, you know, Brock apparently had some trouble getting through it, but, you know, he got he got through it and we're glad that he did. And, uh, just obliviousness as to them thinking, you know, this is the right thing for white people to do is have black people do the heavy lifting on race relations stuff. Um, you know, because there shouldn't be a white guy saying it. It should be, you know, a black guy saying it so that it's, well, we're all racist against Klingons, not just the white guys. Um, and the guess who's coming to dinner line was originally intended for Uhura. Right. And she the co screenwriter it. was like, oh, apparently, um, she thought that was racist. <laughs> And so we gave it to Chekhov to say, and, uh, you know, we didn't realize that it wasn't politically correct or something, but, uh, you know, it, it was, um, it was, it was disappointing to say the least. And, uh, and, and, and the, the part of the commentary that's aged the least well is the, um, the, uh, the mind meld interrogation scene with Valeris at the end, mm-hmm. uh, which Nicholas Meyer specifically notes is, uh, is, uh, you know, oh, I wanted this to be sexy. Um, Which says everything about what's wrong with that scene. Uh, And uh, yeah, like the rest of it was, you know, guys going, yeah, we made this movie on, you know, for for five bucks and a couple of quarters. Um, And uh, and we're very proud of ourselves and trotting out stories that everybody's heard them tell a million times. Um, But uh, but yeah, those things really, as much as they have stuck out in the past, they stuck out even more this time.
0: Yes. The Valeris scene with the uh, non-consensual mind meld uh, is, is I think, the nicest way I can describe it, is uh, the worst part of this movie. Uh, and I, f- I feel like it could have been done differently. And of course, this is 30 years ago. I still don't think it worked 30 years ago. But um, and the only saving grace, if you could find a saving grace to that scene, which I'm not sure you can, is that at the end... Uh, Leonard Nimoy is so good as Spock that you can tell he was kind of disgusted by what he had done, um, but that still doesn't make it. I don't think it makes it work. It's just kind of like, OK, I can see how yeah. someone might think it would work.
1: But if he was going to do that, if if we're going to if he's going to either indicate it on purpose or just in consequence of knowing what he was doing, it would have been better if other if if Kirk had said. You need to do this if he had basically forced mm-hmm. Spock into a situation where he had to do it. and then Spock, Because what I expected Spock, I would have expected that to happen and I would have expected Spock to say that's against Vulcan law. I mean because aside from just the terribleness of what happened, it just doesn't seem consistent with the Vulcan way as we've been led to, to understand it in canon. And the idea that it proceeds without any sort of looking back or considering whether this is the right thing to do at all – is just stunning.
0: I agree. And part of what they're doing, they're trying to figure out, uh, you know, who her co-conspirators are uh, and also find out where the, the secret uh, uh, summit is going to be taking uh, place. And then she doesn't know. And they're like, Oh, well, we'll just call up Sulu. He knows. And I'm like, well, why did you bother? I said you that before. That as everyone, I agree
3: 100% with everything. Um, and I, I think it, it, sits in the movies very strangely uh because the scenes before that and the scenes after that don't, aren't really as um affected by that uh Kim Cattrall is basically moaning in pain um from the experience that she's going through and uh then afterwards uh she's composed and you could say, well, maybe that's because she's a Vulcan and she's composed now, but she just acts fine for the rest of the movie and it's it's such a traumatic thing in terms of the way that it's performed that i i don't understand uh why that would have that why that wouldn't have more gravity uh after the fact uh than than just spock's discomfort uh for mere seconds before he says call up excelsior she'll have the, the coordinates uh and and so i really wish they had done something else with that when i saw this in 1991 as a kid i didn't really understand what was happening uh other than this was a mind meld and he was getting the information from her and then now you watch it and you're just like oh this is super weird and gross uh because it's it's not uh the, the whole thing with consent is a little uh yeah. wrong here
2: yeah, uh a couple other things that come to mind. Um I have an admission to make. I also listen to the Larry Nimeshak and uh Steve Nairbear commentary and um just skip over them talking about this part uh because they make allusions to other parts of her screen career um being evoked by the way that she responds to this interrogation and it's mm-hmm. not great. Mm-hmm. It's not great. Um and I, this is, this is, uh, as, as is v- not just subtext, but like boldface text in the script, this is a, uh, this is a cold war era movie just following the fall of the USSR and very much not a post nine 11, um, enhanced interrogation procedures and what that actually means. Um, and, and so on, uh, kind of movie. It is very much from the, the, tail end of the Reagan era leading into the Bush one era, not to get political, just putting it in history where there were, there were different ideas about what it was acceptable to do, um, to, uh, to the enemy. Um, and, uh, it it very much is like, well, if, if you are this kind of a person, guess what? The Geneva conventions go all the way out the window. Um, you're not deserving of of any consideration whatsoever like a like a civilized person um and yeah i don't know uh, re-watching it this time uh scott i think my favorite star trek movie is now star trek 4 uh, because <laughs> at the very least there's casual 1980s sexism and that's that's where it ends yeah posture. but
3: we don't know if Gracie was upset when she mind melded <laughs> oh no. alright fine Star Trek, oh, no. Star Trek the motion
2: picture so that I can be I can be like uh, you know a, a rebel or something there's a
3: mind meld in that one too <laughs> oh man it's always a mind fine. meld
1: Spot Insurrection, Insurrection so heads. I can be
2: the least popular nerd on the playground
0: I was going to say I think Star Trek 2 uh, blissfully free of mind melds as I recall uh, I could be wrong though Uh, send your emails to Joe though. Uh, (laughs) So one of the things that I think, so yes, I agree. Thought what all we said. Um, One of the things that I think works so well for me in this movie though, is um, of course, you know, Star Trek has always been about the relationship of Kirk, Spock and McCoy. Right. And I think that this, this, uh, I was going to call it this episode, this movie uh, leans heavy on that. Like these, all these actors know these characters, know what they'll do, they have this rapport uh, built over decades of working together, and all of that shows. Um, and I think, particularly, one of the themes of this ep- of this movie is, um, you know, are you being left behind by history? Like, right? Are you a relic? Of, you know, things are changing. The Klingons are are coming into the fold. Uh, Kirk wants them to die. Uh, Spock says we need to save them. You know, General Chang doesn't want to be saved, right? And so it's just that that whole kind of mishmash of stuff just really works well, I think, in this movie.
1: I think to its credit, the way the relationships between those three are handled and written is not as cliche as it is in some of the movies. I mean, we know all the tropes about their relationship, and they feel very lived in this movie. There are, you know, a couple of instances in which McCoy and Spock don't fight like they do in some instances. There are occasions where Spock explains logic to Kirk like he does, and there are occasions where McCoy is a little bit cranky, but not so much that it gets on your nerves or that it feels like they're doing just Oh, fan service that doesn't make any sense. They really feel like characters who are not only friends who have been through a lot together, but who've just known each other a long time and who understand the motivations of the other two characters and and have a great deal of respect for them in in a way that's easy to watch.
2: I mean, the, I th- I think the big thing for me um, that is is what formerly made it my favorite Star Trek movie. <laughs> is that it's it's a movie about prejudice. Um, that uh, the movie's dedicated to Gene Roddenberry. Gene Roddenberry apparently very vehemently disliked the script because, but but my my Utopia where nobody's prejudiced except for all of the stuff that he wrote in about how it was totally fine to be prejudiced against Klingons because they were subhuman monsters. Um, I I loved that it that it paid off uh, James T Kirk's bigotry toward Klingons. Um, About him viewing them as not just alien, but the most alien of aliens, the most subhuman of non-humans and looking at looking at that through the lens of these relationships that 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 already exist. Of course, Spock would be perfectly fine brokering this piece Um, and McCoy. I mean, the, the way that that triptych of them work McCoy's got his own opinions about Klingons, but he doesn't quite go as far as Kirk does when it comes to just outright hatred of them as a species. Um, the The depth with which they get at, at, at that level of prejudice and bigotry is something that uh, the reason the reason that I love Trek is that it it deals with that stuff. And it's something that um, when people get over the hero worship of the creator of it, um, you know, you realize that the creator of it uh, thought that he had fixed prejudice and bigotry completely and missed the stuff that other writers who came in under him were doing to make it interesting and realistic Um by by inserting these kinds of conflicts where he was like oh there should be no conflict in the future which I'll I'll gesture you toward the first two seasons of Star Trek TNG um to see how that went uh having no conflict in a drama um so I yeah I I enjoyed as I mentioned earlier seeing these characters play with some of the dynamics and doing some of the kinds of stuff that I love watching them do but taking a more head on approach specifically at the notions of prejudice and who you will break bread with and, and uh, whether the future is something that you are going to help um, protect um, or that you're going to get in the way of with your own prejudices.
3: Yeah. And I I mean, while this is the um, 1991 through the lens of Nicholas Meyer and uh, his writing assistant kind of viewpoint on progressivism and, uh, anti bigotry and all, all all this stuff, prejudice, but it, it is, uh, it's still uh, a positive direction. We have this growth here in this character of Kirk, where we go from the beginning of the movie with, uh, you know, him saying, Let them die to Spock and his disgust at that, uh, to, uh, realizing he's wrong and uh, the error of, error of his ways, uh, that he's standing in the way of actual progress the actual future his hatred is rooted in this one specific instance uh well many instances but one is mentioned <laughs> in this uh movie um and that you know it, it really is something that is just more than himself um and that he he cannot uh he cannot be obstinate and calcified to uh any kind of change um and while as moises pointed out brock peters didn't want to uh portray the character in the way that he he had to do it in this film um having other people inside of the federation who were conspiring um is one of the things that makes this work uh that there are elements where there's uh this this betrayal of the sort of the the foundational aspects of what the federation is and then everybody coming together to, to say no that's not what this is we can all be uh at peace with one another uh through this process like we're we're not we don't always have to be at war with someone just because they've been the enemy of the federation for a long time Mm
0: -hmm. and and i always enjoy when star trek talks about how you know obviously star trek is written by and for humans so uh it is (laughs) human centric -centric. (laughs) but it is fun there's this whole galaxy in star trek that is full of other species and uh, we spend a lot of time with humans and it's always fun when they kind of hang a lantern on that. And there's this scene where uh, in at the, the lovely dinner scene where the, the, the Klingons come on board uh, with the chancellor and they all eat like turkey on uh, the enterprise. And uh, the chancellor's daughter uh, has a big reaction when someone says inalienable human rights. Uh, and, and that's what a, a delightful moment for me is that when she's like, Oh, just listen to yourself. Uh, and then spoiler alert, she becomes chancellor. Uh-oh. What?
2: <laughs> the 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 majority of the differences between the theatrical cut and the director's cut are something that I do kind of miss cuz I love Renée Bergeron no, <laughs> um, who, you know, I knew of before this movie from like Benson reruns or something. Um, and of course, you know, everybody who's a Trekner nerd knows from deep space nine, um, where he's this other Star Starfleet guy that is, that is in on the conspiracy and is the quote unquote Klingon that gets, um, that gets knocked out of the, uh, the, uh, the, his, uh, his perch, uh, by, by Scotty shooting him. Um, and, you know, that's, that's why that Klingon bleeds red blood. If you, if you watch the theatrical cut, you're like, wait a minute, they made a whole thing with the pink blood. What's this? Um, it, it, it accounts for maybe two minutes of screen time. And then there's a different edit to the, uh, to the mind meld interrogation where we see flashes of, of, um, of, of, uh, Cartwright and, uh, Chang and the other Klingon general, um, and then there's like maybe two little editing changes, but, but they basically just slice Rene version one out of the movie. Um, and two minutes really doesn't do a whole lot to change much of anything. And it, it lends a little bit more to the meeting with the Federation president and the Klingon ambassador and the Romulan ambassador, the Klingon ambassador leaves Romulan ambassador sticks around and, uh, and Rene's um, uh, Colonel West uh, comes in with, with a flip chart, which again charming hilarious uh 23rd century uh thing to to bring in is is a giant poster size flip chart of operation uh rescue or something like that to go get kirk and McCoy. um but uh yeah it, it seeing the romulan ambassador go you know you could attack them now would be the best time to go to war with them but i mean i'm just one guy what's my opinion right um, it, you know, it, it, gives a little bit more to the, the whole, um, geopolitical or galacto political, I don't know, uh, sort of thing. Um, and you know, there, there are things in here that are very, I mean, the, the whole thing with Praxis is supposed to be Chernobyl in space. Um, they're direct analogs to all kinds of things. Gorkon's name is, is specifically an amalgamation of, uh, Gorbachev and Lincoln. Um, and of course he's got the Lincoln beard going, um, it's something that there there are things that I picked up on when I was in elementary school and saw this and things that I picked up on later and things that really it's like, oh, OK, yeah. OK, now I see. It's not just one reference here and there. It all uh, it all it all ties together. And I get it more than I did as a kid who, you know. I thought I was sophisticated cuz I stayed up late to watch the evening news and night court. Um but I didn't get most of what was being said on the evening news and night court. Um yeah there's there, there's a lot of stuff in there that um that is is interesting albeit, you know, 30 years uh out of date in some respects. Plus Worf is in this movie. Yeah, is <laughs> <Worf's> in <the laughs> movie. Come on. Come on. How can uh, you
0: know? I forgot uh that uh, so I also can we talk about the opening uh credits good lord uh like 15 minutes of the most boring titles ever um and I when thinking- i was a kid
3: i loved it and when <laughs> Me we would rent we would rent it from blockbuster uh I, I would put it in and i would i would listen to the whole thing go i wouldn't necessarily like stare at ralph winter's name in its purple <laughs> pink gradient thing but i would i would still listen to that whole beginning because i they gave it such an operatic intro um mm-hmm the visuals of it are very boring uh but that's what gives oh, right. you that hit right when it's mm-hmm. it, it ends <laughs> and then, and then uh, there's a, a small explosion
0: a big explosion i love i love that moment but i'm just like oh man i forgot how uh boring this uh title sequence is um but then you then you get Praxis blowing up and that's exciting uh and and, and uh, sulu yelling shields shields i love it uh and his
2: crew of all white stuntmen <laughs> <laughs> That's apparently what they had to do is they were just like, oh, we need to crew an entire uh, bridge of people. Uh, so, well, we're we're giving Grace Lee Whitney a day rate. Right? Um, so let's get the guys from the stunt team and stick them in ill-fitting uniforms. And they're Sulu's crew. Sulu, <laughs> captain of the whitest crew in Starfleet. But a fine captain,
0: nonetheless. Plus, Christian Slater is on his uh, ship, so he yeah. can't, it can't all be bad. That's what
3: happens when Mary Jo Slater is your casting director. <laughs> <laughs>
0: he gets to brood in the
3: doorway.
2: I got to say, the the other bit of casting that I I did not expect anybody else to bring up, but I hope that uh, that the rest of you will um will 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 agree with me is the extra standing uh, audience left of Scotty. Oh. As they are looking up at the warp he core when they leave so space dock, looks by that warp so cord. odd that the warp core is working. That it is working as well as it. I don't. I don't know what it is he's odd about, but he looks like the most excited junior engineer to ever see anything in main engineering, ever. He's yeah
3: the background actors in this uh, are very interesting to watch. If you've seen the movie many, many times, you start to yeah. notice them a little more. Uh, <laughs> the weird way the aliens clap at the end. Uh, yep. <laughs> it, it's just, every, everybody's got a thing they're doing back there, and I don't think <laughs> Nicholas Meyer really cared.
2: You know, <laughs> the, so, so the, the, the galley scene, it's it's weird on its own, but the like, the, the thing that I want to pick out is how many Thanksgiving dinners are they cooking simultaneously that they have all those turkeys lined up? It, just, it It's like, on the one thing, it's, you know, that they're cooking instead of replicating everything uh and nicholas meyer really just wanted it to you know be a proper ship's galley like on a nautical ship or something whatever fine 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 um but, but for me it was it, like just how into turkey and mashed potatoes is this crew also turkey those mashed potatoes would be terrible because awful.
3: they disintegrate the pot <laughs> and they stay perfectly still
0: <laughs> well, i assume they, they heated up or something because of the phaser i don't know that's my head about how those mashed potatoes aren't awful I thought about it. Uh, But I I do enjoy the Klingon courtroom scene, even though I feel like it is inexplicable why Worf has to be the lawyer for Captain Kirk and uh, Dr. McCoy. I mean, I like Michael Doran. Don't get me wrong. I like Worf. It just, I just thought it was weird. Uh, I, I suppose they want to tie it in with the TNG and, the ending, I, you know,
1: I assume he, that was the only reason they did it, and and, and nothing against him. But I, the idea that they go directly to that courtroom scene, and all of a sudden he has a lawyer. We don't—they have a lawyer. We don't even get any sort of "Hi, I'll be your lawyer." Uh, this is this is going to be my strategy. I mean, he, he didn't have a chance of winning, but he actually is pretty good. Like he's working on, on their behalf. I mean, he, he's not a crappy lawyer for for them. But <laughs> it was—I I feel like all we were supposed to get out of that was, oh, it's it's War from TNG. <laughs>
0: i think you're right yeah
3: if you if you really want to have some uh time with your your advocate uh you can watch that enterprise episode mm. where they tried to redo <laughs> this trial it is
0: it, it does uh, spawn an entire episode of of enterprise and that episode
2: is not very good well um, and there's there's the voyager episode with with janice rand that that is the expansion on janice rand that that we uh that we should have gotten here
0: but I will say, Klingons very dramatic, and their courtrooms equally dramatic. I, I've always loved that they use a giant silver orb, sparks for a gavel,
2: clutched uh, in a in a claw gauntlet. Uh, I love it. It's I. It's so extra that lower decks couldn't help but <laughs> but but do something with it because it's just it, it is one of the most like one of those Klingon things that just happens, and you're like,
0: what is that? And that's the, that. That sequence has two of my favorite moments in uh, the movie. When when Chang is like, "Don't wait for the translation. Just answer the question." <laughs> uh, I love that. Uh, and when uh, McCoy uh, gets a laugh from the uh, the uh, Klingon audience uh, when you know, other than arthritis, I'm pretty good. Um, he and he's so pleased. Uh, yeah, McCoy,
2: McCoy doing crowd work <laughs> and then looking up like, "Yeah, thank you, thank you." Yes, that was a good one. That was a good one.
0: It abuses me every time I see it. His reaction yeah. uh, of how pleased he is
2: that he got to cling on to laugh. General Chang really did pull off that delivery better than Adley Stevenson did. So he he deserve he deserves that reaction.
3: I always I always thought it was uh, just the echo of his own laugh, uh, but uh, I guess it could be an audience member that yeah. maybe. But uh, that's interesting. It it, uh, it it didn't go over well. It just seemed like an (laughs) ill opportune time to (laughs) to do that.
0: (laughs) Can't resist. Just to make you know, it's kind of they're in a a deep situation. He wants to to brighten up the mood a little bit and distract from from the obvious tracker that is on Kirk's shoulder.
2: (laughs) Bones, save it for uh, open mic night. Not not now. Not now.
0: (laughs) It is it
3: is amazing how that tracker makes it. (laughs) <laughs> through this whole process right
1: nobody <laughs> no, you know no. removes his clothing puts him in a prison jumpsuit of any kind or yeah you know
2: well i mean the klingons when the enterprise enters the flagship of the federation <laughs> oh enters cares. klingon space they're like oh look it's a blinky triangle on a screen we can't tell what kind <laughs> of ship it is <laughs> um we can't we can't tell in any way like <laughs> all of our stuff is if if it were that easy for a Federation ship to just fly in to the Klingon neutral zone whenever it wanted to, uh, why have they not – oh, wait, they did do it a few times. Okay, fine. But, mm-hmm. but usually
1: um, with some sort of consequences. severe. Exactly. <laughs> well, exactly.
2: you, you get the sense that that listening post was not the
0: best uh, at their job, um, although good they, with the jokes apparently.
3: Yeah. yeah. Oh, maybe it was because of their destination too. Because it's like, oh, who's going to Rurapente?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: oh, yeah, who,
1: who the hell wants to go
0: there? There's nothing I'm there to go there. I do. Uh, once again, I love the Ruapehake stuff. the The special effects in my mind, I remember it looking so realistic. Uh, And watching it now, uh, when they're in the mines and the styrofoam and all of that, uh, it does not look realistic at all. But uh, I still like it with Iman.
1: I mean, I enjoy it as entertainment, but the whole sequence is clearly just there to take up time and to give you essentially action i mean it's not there, mm-hmm. there's nothing there's nothing substantive to be gained by it it's a, it's a distraction it's like oh look well we need how long yeah. does that last 15 minutes or so and it as I say it's entertaining but you come out of it feeling like nothing of value has happened at all
2: <laughs> well she, well shelly I'll, I'll say this it is classic star trek killing time in a cave
1: true true <laughs> yeah. And that with alien true. things of various kinds, yeah, I mean, textbook, sure.
2: Star Trek in a cave on the Paramount it's just
1: lot. it's just you know the longer it goes on and the when it's in a major motion picture it's a little more noticeable than yeah true. Spending true. a couple, I, of I minutes. wasn't really defending. it. Yeah, I know. I'm I drop I the know. act now. I, I wasn't really. No, let's fight. It. Okay,
2: <laughs> <laughs> those those three that that like three minutes of Alaska second unit footage that was totally <laughs> worth it. <laughs> so so worth it.
3: It was a little gratuitous that they have two fights with. Uh, some very tall <laughs> right. aliens. Um, it was just a
1: little extra. I mean, it's true. That, that second
0: mean, alien, though, was pretty interesting looking, uh, yeah. I thought.
3: The second one was better than the first one because the first one could talk through his makeup, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, the, the second one, um, you got a little more expression going on there and uh, mm-hmm. some interesting lighting. But it was... Uh, it, it's also... I, I like the... I, I'm a sucker for the stupid comedy of, you know, <laughs> kicking the guy at his knees and then... Uh, mm-hmm. Not everybody keeps their genitals in the same place, Captain. Like, I, I,
1: I think that's funny. I mean, It I was funny. Moment, no, I I I'm, I'm not saying it wasn't. I said entertainment, you know? I mean. Yes. Yeah.
0: I think you're right. It is purely just for it. Editor- and to get us to the point where, uh, you know, uh, the scene where uh, she turns into Captain Kirk and Captain Kirk says, I can't believe I kissed you. Right. right. She <laughs> says, uh, that must have been, you know, your life's
1: ambition. And she's great, like by the way. I really like yes. her a lot.
2: Yeah, she's yeah. magnificent. Yeah, mm-hmm. I,
3: I I do. I also love the makeup they gave her, uh, with the the gold eyes and the, uh, the yeah. feather hair. Um, it's a it's a really interesting look, and they they tried to like give every every form she takes uh has the same eyes um even when she turns into shatner um so you know they they, they, they tried they they were doing stuff uh <laughs> the the morphs were convincing uh and in mm-hmm. for 1991 you know seeing something morph from one thing to another thing that was that was like
0: uh really are they trend. allowed to do this <laughs> what's happening <sighs> Oh, it's just, uh, this movie, I have so many fond feelings for this movie that I overlook so many, uh, things that shouldn't work, but work just because it is this movie.
2: Ah, you won me over, Scott. It's my favorite Star Trek movie. (laughs) 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 Hooray! (laughs) It's, I mean, really, when when it comes down to it, I think, uh, I think the, the, the heart of, of why it got that estimation for me, um, you know, it, 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 um, it is all of the flawed things about star Trek that I like all of the flawed things about star Trek that I do not like mm-hmm. that. It is progressively learned from as it's gone as a franchise. Um, and uh, I, I think, I think it is, it is amazing that they pulled off what they did with a practically non-existent budget um, where just, just being told, Hey, so this is the last movie that we're doing at this cast. And they had originally written it where uh, Kirk was going to go like round up the gang, you know, to get the band back together one last time for, you know, orders uncertain. Uh, and mm-hmm. they wouldn't commit to the budget to like, you know, do uh, do uh, do different locations for for where he was going and, and picking up the crew from. Um, and and it wasn't a uh, I don't think this works, which I don't think it worked dramatically as an idea, the way that they talk about it in the commentary. Um but the studio was like, "Oh, you you don't have a budget like that. You can't um, you know, we we can't we can't do a matte painting uh for one scene with Scotty. Uh, we don't have that kind of money. I'm sorry."
1: To yeah. meet
0: Scotty in a Brooklyn alley. We've got that in the stu- the the set.
1: <laughs> yeah, it
0: is it is always disappointing. I I think that is
3: uh like like I mentioned earlier, uh, seeing all the ways in which this this aged poorly. Uh, one, one of them is is just the set decoration and redressing things because they they just don't they don't have the cash. Uh, you know, you you've got the scene with the boot where they put it on the locker, but because they've already put the boot on the locker so many times, the paint has come off. So when they <sighs> do it for that take in the scene the paint is already removed from where they put the boot um mm-hmm. because they and when they're shot- looking when
2: they're looking for the boots and and mm-hmm. every uh, the uniforms and the, and they use them they they use a metal detector that they just put a translucent green thing on yeah. to make it, a, it it's a space thing now
3: and all the the uh wood drawers they have close-ups on that are too close because you can see the wood grain um <laughs> that's been painted gray uh like they they just they didn't they didn't have the cash. Uh and my I think the most offensive thing for me is probably uh the president's office, um, which is the reuse <laughs> of the ten forward set, but with it's a deep. an enormous version of uh the, the Eiffel Tower behind it, and then yeah. because that looked too phony, they put shears in front of that <laughs> with the the very identifiable ten forward windows, and it's just like yeah. what building is
2: this? Like how did you how did you do joe, this? this? joe, no joe the president's office is in France, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. which is why they use the backdrops from, uh, uh, the, the, the Paris episode of TNG. Yeah. <laughs> well, and obviously
3: it it, 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 it's only slightly worse when they go to visit the president's office in deep space nine and he's like in a closet now, uh, <laughs> that, that just has <laughs> <does> like an L <laughs> screen. Brain. Uh, but they they just uh, they I mean, got to do something to give it some federation some citizens are complaining
2: about these taxes that they don't pay uh, that, you know, that, that fund this lavish lifestyle. Uh, and then, well, the, the meeting where they're given the mission at Starfleet headquarters was apparently like they they, they found some church and they dressed it so that they were making the, the ends of the room all as dark as possible. Yet they still managed to have a sad looking uh, like. Starfleet craft service table that had like a pump pot and coffee cups um, yeah it just um, I stuff that you don't pay attention to the first time you see because you think of oh man that CG thing in the beginning I've never seen that in a movie in nineteen in the year 1991 whoa uh, you're, you're not looking for the fact that they they did some of these scenes on a well we have a camera and a community theater budget so done
0: I was I, so I was thinking about the action sequences in this movie, and uh, it delights me that one of them includes people rummaging through drawers to find <laughs> uniforms. Um, because uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, you know rip roar and action in this movie. Um, there's the the Ruripente stuff, and then the the, the climactic. Uh, well, I guess there's the assassination, um, which is more of a kind of a slow motion horrific thing. Um, and then the clim- climactic uh, assassin is going to kill someone and we need to stop him. Although my pro tip t- to you is if you are in on an assassination attempt, uh, try to not stare at where the assassin will be repeatedly. <laughs> uh, everybody in like the Romulan and uh, Carver, they're all just looking at that. They're all window. looking up at that window. Uh, like, all mm-hmm. of them looking up at that window. When's it happening?
2: Yeah. I was like, be cool, man. <laughs>
0: Uh, Edward Cartwright is very sweaty. He is incredibly <laughs> sweaty.
2: It's like, are you all right? I've, I've never, before. I've never done a treason before. <laughs> oh man! Uh,
0: and, and and I I will say so. It's super cheesy. And in my notes, I wrote down uh, clapping is cheesy, but I like it. So at the end, they thwart the assassination attempt. And Captain Kirk gives this rousing speech about how, you know, we're all the same after all. Hooray, let's not kill each other. Uh, And everybody claps. uh, And I thought, I'm not sure if that speech deserves clapping, but uh, this works on an emotional level for me.
1: I guess so. I just wondered what all those people were supposed to be doing there. It's a peace conference. It's, I guess, reminiscent of the – why do we need all those people? And then what must they think? Like they're just sitting there having a peace conference and then all these people show up and all this crazy stuff happens. And then this guy who some of them probably recognize and some of them don't starts talking to him and they're like, uh, clap? Sh- sure. Okay.
0: Maybe if we clap, he'll stop.
1: Right. Exactly. He looks like a kind of guy who would go on for a while.
0: And also another thing, obviously part of the budget, though, but they're, they're going to this. So I think we can all agree that this peace summit is pretty important. And uh, there's already been an assassination. So security should be pretty high. Uh, and they're going to this planet and there's no ships around. Nobody stops them like they, they shouldn't be there. And it's just like they just they just just like getting into the Klingon Empire. They just kind of show up and nobody sees this is scared. what
1: my my husband who was wandering through the living room as i was watching this said wait a minute they're landing on this peace they've they've gone through all this trouble to find this peace planet there aren't even any ships that con- contain the delegates who are at the peace conference not to mention any <laughs> security where is everybody
0: yeah you can drop them off and then you leave and you right. come back and call me them it's, it's
1: like uber starships have been dropping people off and you'll come when you call me I'll, I'll on your phone i'll come get you <laughs>
0: It doesn't make any sense. And yet, no, right. I still like it. <laughs> yeah,
3: I mean, they, they, and as well as the uh, line that Valeris has, uh, uh, my compatriots will ensure that all your uh, ship-to-shore transmissions are jammed, which is why he can call up Sulu, but he can't call up <laughs> the planet. But can't Sulu call the planet? Uh, <laughs> right? Sulu doesn't like, like yeah, long-distance well, charges. Th- I, I,
2: think, I think I have an actual logical reason why, because they don't know who's in on it for sure they know some of the people that are in on it but they don't know everybody who's in on it
3: yeah that could be the case uh that, that would that's make true. more sense but uh it, it was still sort of weird
2: uh trust that. no one we need to show up and beam in with guns blazing that's what we need to do
3: <laughs> it, seemed, it seemed like really risky that maybe there would be an accident um that would occur from doing that uh, joe i think
2: you just described <laughs> the logic of the tos crew <laughs> <laughs>
0: They are people of action.
3: Well, especially at their at their age, uh, you would think that they would send down the the uh, ridiculous security officers with the uh, bad football <laughs> uniform <laughs> things um, instead
2: of yeah, the, the Starfleet cricket team. Yeah,
3: instead of the octogenarians, <laughs> um, maybe.
0: Oh man! And that's the other thing I like about this 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 movie so much is that these are really old people just running around, not even running, kind of trotting around, doing they having fun, and and you know, uh, it just it just it just delights me. Even uh, every... when they
1: get onto a a planet where they're being attacked by aliens and animals and stuff, nobody you know gets winded or anything. It's just like <laughs> old guys on a planet fighting dogs and shapeshifters, but they're cool. <laughs> they're fine. Yeah, they,
3: they, they really want to make sure that you know that William Shatner can hold his own in any right. fight. <laughs> he is he
0: is in peak physical condition. You could just tell by looking at him.
3: Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, he just turned ninety, so he's not he, he's not in, a, in the worst shape. No, um, no, I, but no. No. William Shatner <laughs> uh,
0: is is clearly doing something right. But yeah. Uh, he, uh, yeah, it, there are many ridiculous things in this movie, and uh, treating uh, this Captain Kirk as a uh, Well, I would say an action hero, but he doesn't really do a whole lot uh, of action. But when he he does, leaps in the air. (laughs) He he does leap in the air. Well, and Uh, uh, his uh,
3: his his stunt guy falls in that barrel of fire uh, in the (laughs) the thing.
2: Yeah, (laughs) and his his toupee doesn't go anywhere.
1: No, that is locked down. That's they probably have a pretty good toupee budget for toupee glue (laughs) budget for Shatter.
0: And I do, I do love the way this movie ends. I've already said this, but, uh, you know, they all, everyone except Sulu, of course, back on the bridge and, uh, they line up for the thanks Sulu. Although I don't know if that happened. Yeah. They line up and say, thank you, Sulu. They have that glass picture. And, uh, Captain Kirk says, you know, once again, we've saved civilization. And McCoy says, and and they're not going to prosecute, uh, which I thought was funny. Uh, and then they have to they're gonna be decommissioned tomorrow. Oh no, they have to go back to, to star space dock, but um Captain Kirk is gonna continue his tradition of stealing starships and off they go somewhere else to uh to recap the opening of TOS and change uh go say, you know, where no man and then he changes it or no one. And I thought that was a nice touch. And then the signatures and it's lovely and the movie's over. But yes. what do people think of the ending? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, I I liked all those things that you just said, Um, (laughs) but specifically I do like the handoff sort of that's occurring here with, uh, with Sulu. Um, Sulu is sort of standing in for what will become the next generation. You know, it's, it's, uh, uh, continuing adventures, The, the stuff will occur. Uh, so he, he leaves his, his big ship goes off screen right um and that lets you have uh this final reminiscing moment with the the main cast uh minus U, and they they hit the you know moral of the story on the head um you know they don't prosecute people for having feelings and then you know mccoy glances knowingly at spock and uh you might as well have prosecuted me i felt like lieutenant Valeris, um but it's it's a a lot of stuff that's good uh when you you just don't want to think too hard about why they would be going to the second star to the right straight on till morning which sounds good until you realize there are probably people who are severely injured on this ship um from this fight that they were just in and there are literal holes through it oh that's uh there they will not be able to have any fancy dinners in the fancy dinner room which uh was destroyed well at least the half that Face's camera uh, was destroyed. The other half went back to the Enterprise D. Conference the Enterprise room.
2: D, so that they could take <laughs> meetings. Yeah.
3: Um, so it's you know they they, they uh, it's it's just a nice way to end that. in terms of your feelings, but it's not it's not necessarily maybe the most logical uh, way to end this, but it it gives you I think a far better ending than five ever could have managed to do. Um, and for the life of
2: me, I can never remember how five ends. I remember loads of stuff from five, but I I cannot remember the actual resolution of star Trek five, which isn't tell me, I I don't think I want to know. Um, but, (laughs) but I can remember how star Trek six ends.
3: Well, they, they're hovering over the planet where they just killed the quote-unquote God, and uh, they're with the crew of the uh, Klingon ship that's been trying to kill them the entire movie, Um, but they're all cool now because the ambassador, the Klingon ambassador, uh, who would be the chancellor of the next generation, uh, told them everything's fine. Um, Cool, 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 cool. And they all just uh, hang out, and uh, I think Chekhov says something about the muscles of the first officer of the Klingon ship or whatever, and uh, Kirk stares out the window uh, with his uh, weird little (laughs) Uh, this thing hmm. going on And it's just okay, like Okay yeah, so 6 6 friends. does
2: have a better ending Okay good, <laughs> good Yeah, <laughs> Confirmed
3: Also a better use Of David Warner But
2: uh... <laughs> <laughs> Also the whole cast Yeah
3: I think that's one of the weird things, too, is if you were actually to watch this five to six back to back, you'd be like, isn't that the same guy who was in the other one? <laughs> in a different and
2: role. And then you watch the episode of TNG that's on that week and you're like, this Cardassian dude who is interrogating Picard sure seems familiar.
3: Yeah. No, I mean, mm. He's a
0: good actor. Give him, give him yeah. all the work. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. Well, they like to reuse actors so much that's it's a this movie is many grand traditions of star trek and that is is one of them i feel like uh so we hardly even talked about klingons which is surprising since they are uh, a big part of the movie uh so before we we end does anyone have any thoughts about klingons gork and chang they are spiffy dressers
1: Uh, (laughs) well i i i really enjoyed Christopher Plummer is Chang. I enjoy Christopher Plummer anyways. I enjoy the somewhat random use of Shakespeare. Uh, <laughs> I, I, th- I think there's a point at which he's delivering it in a way that is credible. And there's a point at which he's like, oh, screw it. I'm just going to throw out some Shakespeare because that's what I do. And it's all great. I love it. I I love knowing that Plummer and Shatner have known each other since the '40s when they were working in radio and, and plays in in uh, in Montreal, and I love knowing that Christopher Plummer is a far better actor than Shatner, and that Shatner knows it.
2: <laughs>
1: and I and I and,
2: and you can tell Shatner's real mad about it
1: too. <laughs> and so I, it's like, it's just it, everything Plummer
2: being could. in this movie was his punishment for five. <laughs> ah,
0: right. <laughs> And he's so good. I mean, he's so good in everything. But he is this character is is not uh, particularly fleshed out. No, uh, and perhaps choose the scenery a little bit. But he does not so well.
1: He doesn't. I, he doesn't seem very Klingon to me, despite the delightful costuming and, and dressing that they've done of him. He doesn't. He, he he actually seems like he would be better suited to to be a Romulan. But I still enjoyed every minute of it
3: yeah i mean he, he has a suspicious mid atlantic accent uh <laughs> but he, especially, especially in that courtroom scene but uh he he uh i i i mean it's sort of is like almost camp um where it's just very ridiculous scenery chewing i i can really get behind um uh, you know Ricardo Montalban as khan will always have the king the, the throne of uh, the, the scenery showing but like I, I really do enjoy his performance here and it seems like I don't know if it's true or not but it seems like he was enjoying what he was getting to do on set at least in terms of delivering these uh, Shakespearean lines um, in terms of like Klingons in general in this film uh, I always found it weird that the Klingons in this movie are subtly different from the Klingons before and after yes them. they're very um, different there, it is. It is. It is odd, uh, and I can tell it's a very intentional choice by Nicholas Meyer to have them behave and uh, act in this manner. Um, they do try to have some sort of. They do try to tie it in with stuff in terms of like general costuming is is mostly on with what was happening in the Tos movies. There are some exceptions, and you have. The Klingon language, uh, of course, which has been around uh, the block a few times, um, and they had to come up with... Uh, uh, Mark Orkrand had to come up with like some special way to, ha- to be able to say to be or not to be in Klingon, because they couldn't actually say that grammatically in Klingon um according to the rules that he had made beforehand. Um but Nicholas Meyer's like, no no, no it has to be this. Because <laughs> it's really <laughs> make <boring>. it work. <laughs> make it work, nerd. <laughs> you gotta say takvach takbe. Like you need to do it. Like it's just it's gonna make the movie. And so uh they 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 you know also have Gorkon as the only British Klingon we've ever had seen. <laughs> um but
2: you have uh just a lot of fun stuff. And and, and uh, his daughter his daughter is like Persian? <laughs>
3: Uh, marisa
0: did turn to me and say klingon shouldn't have british accents and i was like yeah, just go with it
3: <laughs> I, I thought it was interesting he, he went to it, school it, abroad it, it's it seemed uh because obviously he just cast david warner because he loves david warner uh since he'd worked with him before um but he uh it, it is interesting in sort of a way of you could if you were to follow this in any other form in some other medium other than just this one movie you could say like oh there's some stratification There's some." Uh, you know different groups of klingons that do and say and behave in different manners uh instead of you know sort of uh, kind of all klingons are klingons um mm-hmm. is how i'll think a lot of the other media kind of treats it um but but here there is you could argue some distinction between uh like when as a like uh she kind of vaguely knows what to do with the, the uh dinner utensils and the napkin, while the uh other people who showed up for dinner are like, Oh no. I've never <laughs> seen this thing. What is this? <laughs> do we
2: fight now? <laughs> Is there ritual combat beforehand, which is is kind of old school Klingon stuff but i I like that these Klingons are so different than what we had seen up to this point, and uh, Unfortunately, what we saw after this point until discovery honestly because the 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 lingering issue that I had is is that um Star Trek you know purported to be all about you know pushing forward acceptance and um you know multiculturalism and all kinds of stuff, but all of the aliens were monocultures. <laughs> All of them had a planet-wide way that literally all of them were. They were all perfect authoritarian states of different kinds, and that bugged me. Um, and and I liked that it felt like the Klingons were getting some variance. That this Klingon chancellor was a man of letters. Um, you know, he, he was he was a bit more hoity-toity with his British accent. Um, General Chang um, with his bolted-on eye patch which I still think is one of the coolest pieces of production design in the movie. Um, the, the, there, there were, there was something new and something different it was cool. And I think was just let down by the fact that the franchise didn't run with it as much as go. Well, we have 20 of this exact same uniform in different sizes. <laughs> That's literally all Klingons are going to be for the rest of TNG.
0: And they have Worf, So he's doing a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah yeah I, and i i i think uh of cor- colonel wharf
3: here uh is maybe more confusing than helpful um because <laughs> c- totally. if you were watching tng which was airing at the same time you'd be like Colonel Wharf, what? Um, uh, and as as but, but, mentioned, but if you,
2: if you were a kid watching Entertainment Tonight who did specials on all Paramount properties, specifically Star Trek, then you knew because they explained it to you. But had they not explained it to me before I went in, I would have been so confused. To say confused. the if
1: you were a kid watching Entertainment Tonight part, I'm I'm that's not that wasn't me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly,
3: exactly. Yeah, it's it, it, like shelly mentioned like they don't explore anything about it so it's just sort of like a weird name drop and just like <laughs> that's michael dorn I, and michael dorn has great stage presence uh and he is very klingon whenever he is around um but it is interesting to see him in the same movie as you're seeing these other klingons um where they are not the same especially in a scene where your two klingons that are talking are colonel Worf and uh general chang um which in my opinion, could not be more different um, in terms of their their Klingon portrayals. I I
1: actually wish Michael Dorn had found a way to make Colonel Worf sound a little different than Worf, either in speech and inflection, or tenor in some way, because it does sort of feel like, oh, that's just the same guy. It's the same character. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I didn't really actually pick up on it until I went to Memory Alpha and was like, oh, okay, I get it now. But I I just wish he had found a way to sort of create some sort of differentiation, but that might not have been what was wanted. They might have actually wanted him to be as close to the wharf we knew from TNG as possible. Maybe.
3: I I also wonder how much of it is just like, no, I know how to do Klingons. Right? (laughs) And I'm going to be a Klingon. And I'm going to be
1: here for a day or two or whatever it is.
0: Yeah, it's weird. I could just imagine people watching it and thinking, how old is wharf?" Right? (laughs) Why, Why does he never different? mention this? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Well, I think that now we should do a lightning round of uh, our favorite moments of uh, Star Trek 6, and I will call on you. We'll pick one, and we're only going to do one round, so pick one, and uh, I will uh, call on you in an order to be determined as I try to stall and think of my own favorite moment of Star Trek 6. So we will start with Joe. Joe, tell me, what is your favorite or one of your favorite moments? of I think one of my favorite moments we
3: haven't mentioned, because uh, we've talked about a few, a few that I quite like, uh, but there is a, a scene uh, where General Chang, for some reason, is being piped into the loudspeaker of the Enterprise, <laughs> and it, it is, I'm as constant as the Northern Star, and DeForest Kelly uh, says, I'd, give, I'd pay
0: real <laughs> money if you'd shut up. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it, it is. It, it delights me every time oh, I see oh. it. It'll never get old.
0: I don't They do that a couple of times in the movie. They just pipe in the ship to ship communications to everybody on the ship. And it is perplexing to me. But uh, once again, I like it because uh, this movie. Uh, Shelley, how about you? Do you have a, a favorite moment? I'll,
1: and it will be a favorite moment because I don't have a the favorite moment. But I, I actually really like the way they set up the uh, the, the relationship between Demoy and Cottrell because I can't remember her name. What is her name? Valeris. I really like the way they set it up and the way that Spock is basically almost saying, I'm so proud of you. Wow, you're awesome. I mean, it was just, it was really well handled. And I don't even, I, you know, I don't, I don't mind what happened later. Well, I mind the scene, but I don't I don't mind that she turned out to be the villain, although it was sort of obvious. But I just mm-hmm. really like the sort of uh, vulcany and somewhat subtle way that they define their relationship at that moment when he sees her on the bridge and he's like, hey, cool.
0: And I like uh, they visit Spock's quarters, and any visit to Spock's quarters is a delight because Spock's quarters are always so strange. And I'd like to think that Spock Spock's style is not particularly Vulcan. It's just kind of a weird thing that he does, and other Vulcans also think it's kind of weird. Uh, but that's just my own headcanon. Uh, Moises, do
2: you have a favorite? I, um, I mean, my least favorite thing is that Joe sniped exactly what i was going to say uh, and it really is one of the best moments in the movie so so uh related to that um going back to the fact christopher Plummer turned them down twice on this movie and it took a gigantic amount of coaxing from leonard nimoy and like obvious conditions that you can, you you can see in the movie okay i'm going to speak klingon but only this much you get this many klingon words out of my mouth and then i'm going to switch to english because it's the future okay um, I love that. I love that it is one of the most self-assured, confident, um, extra performances from a phenomenally talented actor who knows precisely how much scenery to chew to get to exactly that upward limit of what he can get away with and have fun with what he's doing, where you can tell that there is stuff in that speech over the loudspeaker that Nicholas Meyer wrote. And you can tell like the, the more obscure ones are the ones that he just decided he was going to lay down in the ADR session. Um, he throws in our revels now are ended from Midsummer Night's dream. Like he is amping up to more and more and more over the top and, and leaves it right exactly where he should. Um, he, he, he plays the crescendo of that character so perfectly that I've seen so many performances where people are trying to play that, that knowing winking kind of get it. I'm in on this. I'm doing this on purpose kind of thing. And they, they, they let it go over the top. They don't have the kind of control valve that Christopher Plummer has on this. Um, it it really is a masterclass in getting away with having fun with something that you're doing for a paycheck. And because, An old friend begged you and said, it'll really piss off Bill Shatner. I agree.
1: It's so it's amazing. I I love watching him in this movie. And I think you're right. He's in complete control of everything he's doing, which is why when the Shakespeare just sort of seems incongruous and out of control, you're like, no, this is great. He's completely doing this on purpose and he's he's winking at us. But as you say, he's not showing that he's doing it. It's so good.
2: He had to learn all those soliloquies at some point, and he is using every damn one. <laughs> like there, there are probably outtakes of like stuff from Troilus and Cressida <laughs> and Coriolanus. Uh, Coriolanus, uh, mispronouncing it as I usually do. Uh, I, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, that he there is he a was a Shakespearean
1: actor. He continued to be a Shakespearean actor through most of his yeah. life, even when he was making all the appearances as villains in blockbusters. At that point in his career, he was going back and, you know, doing. Yeah. Lear by that point, I suppose.
2: Yeah, Lear for the third time, probably. <laughs>
0: and then from from the sublime to the mundane, one of my favorite moments in this whole movie is uh, Scotty has himself a beverage and he's looking at some blueprints in uh, the conference room <laughs> and he hears, he knows this ship so well and he hears this little noise that's a little off and so he gets up and you can just tell the world-weary way he gets up and he's like, oh, another thing on this ship is broken uh and he discovers in in the vent those uniforms and i just i just like that whole little it's like a minute 30 seconds at most but i just enjoy the fact that he finds them just because he he detects that the the normal <laughs> ship sounds are slightly different and he's gonna look for these rather poorly hidden i will say uniforms
2: <laughs> it, it is so satisfying it's it's the culmination. Of what his entire career has been, which is admiring the hum of the deck plates, mm-hmm. um, which I might have been a thing that he said in five, um, <laughs> like uh, either it was a fever dream or it was something he actually said in five. Um, but I, I, I love that it is a payoff to the fact that this guy like takes a stack of pad devices with him on shore leave to read up on technical manuals that have been updated. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, and prints out enormous paper blueprints. <laughs> huge, huge
2: paper blueprints.
0: Well, yeah. you gotta, you gotta, you know, trust paper and nothing else. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> pa- large paper sheets uh, mm-hmm. and huge
3: LED wall clocks.
0: Um <laughs> I do love that
2: clock at the bridge. I don't know why. I don't know uh, what it's doing there. But there's three of them. <laughs> you have to <laughs> know what time it is. <laughs> you got to know what time it is in Hong Kong. In space, you know?
1: though. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't
2: know. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, look, Shelley. I think you just you just unraveled the the whole thing because now it's like, why are we using um, Sol System Earth time? In twenty-four hour increment, why, why does the entire Federation run on Earth time? What is it about humans that makes them so special? Yeah, that's because the Federation is racist. Yeah. The Homo sapiens only club. <laughs> mm-hmm. And their and their friends that they allow in on a very specific, select basis. Yes, they're they're lackeys
0: uh Speaking of lackeys, I'd like to thank my panel. <laughs> How's that for a transition? Uh, Shelly, thank you for joining, beaming on board. Huh? It's
1: my pleasure. I wish I could say goodbye in Klingon, but I didn't look that up.
0: <laughs> the Universal Translator. Yes.
1: We'll, we'll no, I can't turn that on. Remember, we're uh, trying to be stealthy.
0: That's all right. Mm hmm. Uh, uh I would, um, you know, uh, Store
2: you in event, I suppose. Oh my God. <laughs> I, the, it, it, look. I mean, after all the shenanigans I've gotten up to, I probably deserve it. Uh, that or a court martial. I'd like to, I'd like to thank Spock's ancient Earth uh, ancestor, Sherlock Holmes, who in Star mm-hmm. Trek canon is apparently a real person.
0: <laughs> That's right. And Richard Nixon is a Vulcan. And uh, <laughs> Joe, I, I just want to stand next to you and look in awe at this warp core as we, we leave this podcast behind us.
3: And I will also look at it because that's the point of the scene, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we'll look at the War together.
0: Oh, as it should be.